This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, Keith Asen joins us to give an overview of ONTAP 9.10.1. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipar. Zipar. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today I have Keith Asen to talk to us all about ONTAP 9.10.1. I can't believe I haven't already done an ONTAP 9.10.1 podcast. <laughs> I've done a couple of the features. That's on me. Uh, we'll be better about 9.10.11 or sorry, 9.11.1 uh, coming up in the future. But uh, Keith, what do you do here at NetApp and how do we reach you? I First off, I Super honored to be here. I, I've always wanted to be on the podcast. I've always, always listened and been a fan, so I'm pretty excited to be here. I have been at NetApp for a while, kicking around 14 years this spring, um, but most of that in the field. I was a solutions architect in the field forever, and um, then just this last fall, moved over into the product management team. So I'm actually uh, on the ONTAP customer product marketing team, or product management team, uh, specifically in customer communications. So I do a ton of EBCs. I present the ONTAP vision and uh, help customers in the field better understand what we're doing in ONTAP product management. All right, cool. How do we reach you? You can, uh, I'm I'm kind of old school. Uh, Email is probably the best. That's an easy one. It's keitha at netapp.com. So I'm going to tell you a little secret about getting onto the podcast, Keith, because you could have been on this a long time ago. So first, you email me. <laughs> Second, you say, I have an idea for a podcast. And third, I say, okay. That's that's how hard it is to get on this podcast. So anyone listening, if you've, met, if you've been yearning to be on this podcast, if you have subject matter expertise in something, whether you're a customer or a field or a partner, feel free to reach out to podcast.netapp.com and I will answer your emails and we'll schedule something up because I'm always looking for content. I don't like missing weeks. Sometimes I miss weeks because we don't have content. So yes, you could have been on this years ago, Keith. Just Well, now you're going to have a tough time getting rid of me. That's good. That's Anytime. Yes. Well, in fact, you will be doing this on a regular cadence now since you are the ONTAP guy. So um, be ready to do this again in about a month or two or three or whatever the cadence is. Speaking of the cadence, um, ONTAP is famous uh, in, in recent years for, for switching up the cadences to the point where it's it's kind of confusing for people, uh, you know, wh- where we are, what release we're on, why we change the cadences, why we change the release numbers. So today, where are we with the cadence? And yeah, I know we've been there for a while, but let's just kind of level set there. I, I know we, we've changed it a couple of times and now the numbering system is all kind of funky because we're back to three three numbers or three digits and we seem to be skipping versions. It is a little confusing. What we do actually, we, we're maintaining a four release per year cadence, if you can believe that. Four releases a year. It's a it's it's a, a maelstrom of, of software development. But as far as for most of the listeners here, we do two on-prem releases a year and two cloud-only releases. And so if you're wondering what happened to the dot zero releases, those are the cloud releases. And then the the dot ones are on-prem releases. And they happen twice a year, uh, spring and fall. And then the cloud ones are, are winter and summer. So it's sort of seasonal. It's a seasonal release. Yeah, it's interesting. Like the the off cadence release, or not off cadence, like the off releases where it's basically just cloud only. Those aren't going to be necessarily feature releases, but they are very important to the development of ONTAP because of the push to use more cloud services, 
moving more to cloud volume services such as ANF and GCP and that sort of thing. So those are very crucial to those particular aspects of the business. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, you in your new role maybe can say more than, than I can, but you know, people think that, oh, we just we got on tap to run in a cloud and, and we're sort of, you know, done and dusted, but it's so much more than that. You know, there's, there's obviously the optimization for the hyperscaler infrastructure, but then, you know, where the real value starts to come in is tying ONTAP directly into the various services, you know, the, the security services and directory services and, 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 and different workflow mechanisms inside those cloud um, hyperscalers. You know, there's just a ton of, of, of integration points to be had in those. And so that's where those two, you know, most of the development for those, those zero releases go to. Yeah. And the cloud releases, if you're not familiar with the ones that are not managed by you, right? So basically like you have cloud volumes on tap, which is like you can log in and, you know, to the CLI and administer yourself. There's FSX for Amazon. You can do the same thing. But then you have things like ANF or you have GCP, where it's basically just a as a service model. And there's a entirely different GUI. There's entirely different functionality. There's things that you can't actually access yourself because they want to simplify the interaction as much as much as possible and just make it make it a basically a volume provisioning service yeah and 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 the fact there's actually really you know there's really those three flavors now in the cloud right there's there's those ones that are strictly as a service where you can access certain things and and there's customizations to be done in those um there's cvo which you sort of manage as a as a you know your own device so the customer managed uh, but even there, there are, again, tons of integrations to be done, as I said, with the you know, directory services and security services. And then there's the, you know, there's kind of the ones in the middle, like, like the FSX uh, on tap that's available where it's sort of a, you know, it's a mix, right? AWS manages some of it and, and, and we manage some of it or the customer manages some, some of it. And so, again, that's a different interface and a different set of APIs. And so there's tons of customization to be done there as well. Yeah, I think FSX hits that sweet spot where most people want it to be. Um, I know there are people out there that just don't want to think about it and the ANF thing serve serve a purpose, but there are a lot of customizations that you can do with FSX that you can't do with the as-a-service pieces. But I digress. Um, You know, what we're here to talk about today is ONTAP 9.10.1 and what's new in there, and then we can kind of tie it into like how it fits into cloud. I know one feature that comes with this um, is is not yet available to our CVS services or CVS uh, offerings, and that's the automatic ransomware. But it, I think it would be very valuable in those use cases. So let's talk about that new feature in ONTAP 9.10.1. Sure, sounds good. Before we start, I will highlight this. This is the perk of you delaying this is 9.10.1 did just pass, um, the P1 release came out last week. So um, not only are we talking about a release that's available, but it's already in P1. So uh, it's uh, there and ready. It's on the truck ready to be used. But uh, autonomous ransomware protection, I I think, I agree. I think that is the coolest feature we've added in in 9.10.1. And I have a bit of an analogy for describing it. Should I just kind of dive into that? Uh, your your audience is probably Matrix fans. I think we're probably that's a pretty common thing, is it not? I think it's pretty much you know pop culture lore that we can talk about. <laughs> People won't be like too uh, too taken aback by it. So so if you if you think about the, the early days of the Matrix, we all had those screensavers of of the Matrix running right. The code rained down the screen. Th- think about 
What ONTAP is doing behind the scenes when it looks at a file system, right? So, so if you have a, a file share out there or, or a file system out there and, and users are you know, connecting to it and they're updating files and creating new files, that's almost like that kind of rain of random you know, code that's coming down on that, on that uh, uh, matrix screensaver. And, and, and that's what ONTAP kind of watches and it can do it you know, very lightweight. It doesn't take a whole bunch of, uh, of CPU cycles to do that. And you think about normal humans interacting with the file system, that's going to be pretty random I.O. Um, ONTAP also looks at something called file entropy, and that's kind of looking at how the files themselves are actually being changed. And again, that should be, for the most part, totally random with, with human interaction. But when something like a ransomware attack occurs, you know that, that's a level of automation that's sparked up. Now, it's coming in through a user account, but it's, you know, it's an automated process that fires up, and, and, and it begins to change the file's in, in a consistent pattern. Now, different ransomwares change them in different ways and, and it changes it in, in um, you know, different measures, but those are all done in a pattern. And what ONTAP is able to do now is detect this pattern, this change in the matrices uh, and alert on it. And so, so it, the first thing it does is it triggers a, a snapshot to occur to give you a, a recovery point very close to when the attack actually occurred. And then obviously trip off some, some alerts to notify that the attacks actually happened. Yeah, it's like one of those things where, you know, you, you need to have a multi-layered approach to ransomware. And this is a, one of those layers. It's a, it's a way to detect and let you know that something's going on, something weird is happening in your data that you may not have otherwise detected yourself. Yeah, this this wouldn't be the only, you know, it's not you can kind of go, oh, yeah, open the floodgates and, and you know, click on whatever link you want. Um, we're protected by all means. And, you know, the, the, the downside is, is this this is reactionary, right? The, obviously, the better way is to prevent the attack from happening in the first place. And so it doesn't preclude any of the, those tools that do, you know, scanning and just general training of your of your staff to you know, not not click suspicious links or, or open suspicious files. Um, but this is a great safety net. This is an airbag, right? It doesn't mean that, you know, if you put an airbag in cars, it doesn't mean we get to all drive like idiots. It just means if something bad happens, you know, hopefully uh, things are a lot safer. Yeah. And I mean, ONTAP doesn't have a lot of control over what happens before it gets to ONTAP. <laughs> you know, we, we don't have any sort of like safety mechanisms that we can put in front of your network. So that's kind of up to the administrators, but you know, we want to be there in case something does happen. Exactly. And what I, what I think is really cool about this is, is it's, I tell people we've trained ONTAP to, to look for ransomware. And that's really the best way of saying it is we've already done a lot of the heavy compute intensive stuff to, um, to, to train ONTAP. So now it just looks for those particular patterns. And, and that means that it can be done in real time and, and with very little overhead on the, on the ONTAP system. Mind you, it's not the only way to look for ransomware. You know, one of our, our um, other offerings in the portfolio is, is Cloud Secure, and it uses some of the capabilities in ONTAP to look for ransomware in a very different way. Can you uh, kind of talk about that a little bit, the differences between how, you know, Cloud Secure operates with versus like the automatic ransomware detection with ONTAP? Yeah, 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 for sure. So, so ONTAP... Um, uh, partners with Cloud Secure, and so Cloud Secure is a SaaS-based offering, and so it it's you know sits in the cloud. And the perk there is it can use a bunch more compute in the cloud, and so ONTAP can pass it a bunch of data. And, and one of the things that we've enhanced also in in nine ten one is file system analytics. And I'll, I'll talk about how you know we're using that natively as well in, in a bit. But essentially, we pass a bunch of information about about the file system. Um, up to to cloud secure, and then because there's a lot more compute going on, or we have access to a lot more compute, and it's not 
in line, um, Cloud Secure can do a lot more analysis of that data. And they actually take the approach of looking at the user behavior. And so they start to build up a pattern rather than looking at what's happening on the file system. They look at, hey, what's this user normally do? Which shares do they normally access? Where do they, you know, what do they normally do from a read, write, and IO pattern? And again, when when a ransomware attack occurs, it comes in as a user, but it'll radically change how that user is accessing their file system. And so there they can detect, hey, this, this person's suddenly you know, doing a ton of writes into a particular file share, or they're, they're accessing a, a, a bunch of file shares they, they normally never do. Uh, and again, we can, you know, it reacts and, and, and triggers and actually calls back to ONTAP and go, hey, something funny is going on here. Trigger a snapshot, give us that very close recovery point. But it also can take it things a step further and optionally do things like actually even disconnect the user from shares to prevent any more damage from occurring. And it's one of those features that I imagine we are eventually going to keep bolting on new things to, and we're going to evolve and, and make it, you know, overall better. You know, have have more functionality. Is, you know, is that kind of a correct assumption? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be it's going to be ongoing. Every one of these releases is going to have new patterns, right? As as the ransomers learn new ways of attacking the, the systems that you know, we're going to have to keep up with that. You know, a good example of, of it is, you know, historically we always think about these things encrypting the entire file, which is, you know, is a very slow process. And, and we've gotten pretty savvy about, about catching that. Now they're getting pretty tricky around, um, hey, let's, let's just encrypt the first little bit of a file, right? We can do it really fast and it's still enough that it really, you know, borks the file, makes it really hard for people to access it, but they can do it a lot faster and those are harder to detect. Um, but, but not for ONTAP, we, we, we've caught that pattern. So it's, you're right, it's going to be an ongoing thing where as ransomers find new techniques of, of, of damaging files, uh, ONTAP's going to have to be trained on each of those to detect them just as fast. Yeah, and you know, ransomware is always evolving and that's going to be part of it as well. So you kind of got to keep up with, with that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, as far as the automatic ransomware feature goes, I understand it's not something that's built into ONTAP. You have to kind of unlock it with a license bundle. Is that is that accurate? Uh, it is. It is. It's part of the security and compliance bundle. So so um, that kind of makes sense. And so, so it's, it's enabled in there. And then you do need to turn it on for, you know, given volumes. And there's a bit of a warm-up period. The warm-up period is basically for you to detect... Um, are you getting any false positives? Maybe you got a file share that, for whatever reason, has you know some strange file entropy. Maybe it's 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 you know an application that's interacting with the files, something that might be triggering a bunch of false positives. We give you kind of a a warm up period where ONTAP you know starts looking for that pattern. You can get an idea: is it is it being too sensitive or 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 not sensitive enough? Um, but it gives you a, tr- a chance to kind of test out um, the the um, analytics before you actually kind of commit it onto a volume. And then, and then once you do, um, you're kind of protected. You'll get an alert if, if it detects on something, and you'll find these kind of special secure snapshots that have occurred uh, when those actually um, uh, trigger. Excellent. So speaking of secure snapshots, we also have another feature that's been around for a while, and it's called SnapLock. And essentially, that's a compliance replication feature that we have. And I understand that 9.10.1 gave us some enhancements to that as well. So can you talk a, bit, a little bit about the enhancements to SnapLock? Yeah, for sure. I, I know what you just. I always love when when we build something for one use case, and then over the years we realize it's really good for something else, and that's that's happened on a number of occasions, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's been several things that you know, like I'll give you an example. So you know, this is something that I always talk about, but flex groups, right? So flex groups is initially 
hey, we need a larger volume that can handle EDA workloads. And that was the initial use case. That wasn't the end use case. It was just, this is what it was initially designed for. Now it's evolved into many use cases, many different uses, and eventually will become the volume in ONTAP. But you know, right now it's it's still got some niche use cases as well as a more general use case. But yeah, we have a lot of features that can do that. The the one that I always think of is is back in the virtualization days, um, engineering came up with a cheat to clone out virtual machines for test beds, right? And I think one of the TMEs actually saw them do this and it was like, whoa, what is that? It's like, oh, we just do that for our test. It's like, would you guys want to use that for something? I'm like, heck yeah, right? That became the, the rapid cloning utility, which was which was taken advantage and ultimately found its way into VAI to do you know fast VM clones. But yeah. um, SnapLock is like that too. We, we initially designed that with the use case of you know, customers that had, they were in high compliance industries, right? They, they had a need that, you know, I've got a set of files that, and, and I need to, you know, lock a particular set of files for five years or 10 years or 30 years um, that, that I have to prove that file is not only, you know, not um, changed, but hasn't been deleted or can't be deleted for that particular window. And, and that's kind of where SnapLock, you know, lived in its niche. And, and you know, we sold some of it, and you know, some customers used it, but it was pretty stable. Uh, you know, how how many customers actually used it? But where that's evolved is, hey, this is an incredible way of protecting your data from ransomware, from compromised administrator accounts, from rogue administrators, all of things which are on the rise um, for for whatever reason. And so it's it's evolved outside of just that compliance window for for basically. You know, almost any customer, most customers want this level, extra level of protection of saying, "Hey, I, you know, I, you know, I want to have a zero trust model. So even my own admins, I want to make sure that my own admins couldn't do something damaging to to my own internal files. And, and maybe I don't need to lock my data for for thirty years. I just want to protect it for for thirty days, right? Uh, and and have a copy of the data that's protected. Now, now the the rub on SnapLock used to be that um, you had to have a dedicated aggregate, and the reason for that is we, we don't trust things like the system clock. Everybody's like, well, what if I just advance the system clock for by 20 years or, or change my NTP source? It's like, well, no, we've, we thought about that. <laughs> You're not going to trick it that easily. So, you know, we used to have to build a dedicated aggregate where, where this, we would actually use hardware on the drives themselves to keep track of time. So, so the, you know, short of destroying the drive, there's no way of, of tricking the system into, you know, thinking that time has passed when it hadn't. Um, but again, with the rise of demand around SnapLock, um, we realized, well, there's actually no harm in, in doing that for an aggregate. So, it, so in 9.10.1, when you upgrade to 9.10.1, essentially we make automatically every aggregate a SnapLock aggregate. So there's no longer a need for a, a dedicated disk pool to SnapLock. You can create a SnapLock volume anywhere in your existing environment. Again, it does require an extra license. And again, that's in the security and compliance bundle. So, so you know, that's a good, you know, good upsell for those two, that particular bundle. Yeah, this the ability to separate, you know, away from the aggregates and make it more of a mobile, flexible way of using SnapLock opens the door again for other features to use this technology, which, you know, we you, you can basically put it all together in your head and think, "Oh, what's what's some stuff that we use that spans aggregates that maybe today can't use SnapLock?" And then you can kind of see the writing on the wall and see where that's going. That's the biggest hint I'll give you. I'm not going to go any further than that. But it, it again, it's one of those building blocks, right? We can do more with it because we're adding innovation even to the features that we already have. Yeah, absolutely, and and the level of security, um, you know, it's that it's that zero trust model that used to be 
kind of exclusively in the networking space is finding its way into storage and data and infrastructure as it should, right? Is, is hey, you, you, you love your storage admins, um, but, you know, let's, you know, maybe it's just a compromised set of credentials or, or maybe it is actually, a, you know, a rogue admin, but you want to have a way to protect that data in such a way that, you know, not even your admin, not even NetApp support could, could actually uh, um, delete that data or remove that, that particular data from the system. Word of caution is is we also in nine ten one of those those minor features. I don't know if you know Justin. We we extended it. We had customers that saying you know thirty years not enough. Uh, we need to protect that data for a hundred years. So you can now actually set um, Snaplock to to lock data for a hundred years, which is kind of mind blowing. <laughs> uh, I can imagine those support calls. I accidentally locked my data for a hundred years. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Bad news I will is your data is salesperson. Good news is you'll be dead by the time it's unlocked. It doesn't yeah, matter. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, so you know, speaking of, of the data protection piece, we also have uh, SnapMirror for S3 now and ONTAP 9.10.1. So talk to me a little bit about how SnapMirror for S3 works. How is it different than normal SnapMirror for like a NAS or SAN volume? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, first off, you know, highlight we we announced S three support for ONTAP in nine eight, so so exactly a year, and and over that course of the year, we it, you know we kind of understood where are we really good in in S three, like where would a customer use ONTAP S three versus say storage grid, um, in particular ONTAP S three is fast, it's it's real fast. Again, ONTAP really doesn't, you know, we're not storing things as files or objects or or LUNs, right? We're, st- we're storing it on Waffle. And so the front-end protocol doesn't really matter a whole lot to us as far as performance is concerned. So our object protocol is very similar performance-wise to what we do on, on file systems, which, which is normal for a file ser- server, uh, is pretty blindingly fast for, for object storage. And so that's really been ONTAP's niche is, is you know, as more applications want to use S3 as their primary you know, mechanism, um, there's an increased demand for a high-performance S3, and that, that's where ONTAP shining. Um, but that doesn't preclude the need for protecting data. And so, so one of the wrinkles we had prior to 9.10.1 is, is it was the data was sort of trapped on that particular um, you know, ONTAP cluster. It just lived on that one. So you you want to have multiple, multiple copies of your data uh, as anything. So so we you know we introduced you know S3 Snap Mirror. Now what's what's different is rather than kind of having that exclusive ONTAP to ONTAP replication, which ONTAP to ONTAP replication is, you know, first off, the most flexible replication out there because we do have ONTAP everywhere. You have it in the cloud. We have it on-prem, all kinds of devices, a software edition in VMware. But there's also a desire to replicate natively to non-NetApp. And so uh, with, with S3, it's not mere S3, we can replicate natively to S3 targets um, things like storage grid or even even uh, S3 compliant object stores like AWS S3 uh, and have those as a, as a direct replication point for, for ONTAP to give you that secondary copy. Yeah, and, and that's another one of those features that I think was one of those building blocks, right? We used to have the, or we started out with the snap mirror to SolidFire or snap mirror to the you know now defunct AltaVault, but the ability to snap mirror to other devices became interesting for customers and in the field so it got extended out to other things and now s3 because s3 is is gaining traction for application developers and other and other use cases so you need need to be able to have the ability to move to an object storage model if you if you want to and it's you know it can be used for data protection or it can be used for simply migrating to that model 
Ah, and that's the that's the that's the trick there. It's not just like native ONTAP um, Snap Mirror where you would leave it in a form that only ONTAP could understand. This is this is Snap Mirror, but actually we kind of we we de-waffleize it. So we kind of scrape the waffle layer off and we put it in there. And so so when you replicate to those other object tiers, um, those objects are still usable just just as they as they were. So that's the really kind of super cool part of it is is that we're not kind of putting it in there in a proprietary format. We're actually replicating it um, to these object stores, but but leaving the objects as is. So so the, if there's an object you put in in ONTAP, it's an object you can actually read from those alternate data stores. Yeah, and it's one of the things you'd hear from customers when you tell them something about something like Fabric Pools, like, oh, we can tier to S3. And it's like, well, can I access those objects afterwards? I'm like, well, well no, you can't. They're still tied to, to ONTAP. But that basically was reading between the lines saying, oh, well, customers actually want the ability to turn these things into objects so they can use it later. Yeah. And, 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 you know, there are some caveats, right? So, so yes, you know, let's make sure we, we share that is, is things like when we're, if you do go on tap to on tap um, things like the bucket name preserve, right? So, so you could do a failover. If you, if you lost the primary on tap cluster, you could, you know, um, do a failover and, and the bucket name reappears. And so your application would just suddenly find its storage again. When we, when we do replication to, to other object platforms, um, obviously those ones have to be rewritable. And so we can't have the same bucket name presented out in the, in the ecosystem twice. And so it, the, the failover isn't quite simple. The objects are fully usable and the data is fully usable, but it just, you know, the kind of caveat, if, if you're not going on tap to on tap, um, it, you would need to redirect your, your application or your users to a, to a different bucket name. But after that, then all the data is totally usable for, for, for whatever you want to do with it. So with this replication, is it strictly bucket, you know, S3 bucket to S3 bucket, or can we do like a NAS to S3 snap mirror? Uh, today, way to break the brain. Uh, today it's S3 to S3, but it does, it does things or things will start to get interesting when, um, again, without saying too much, what if you start blurring the lines between those two protocols? What if? Some data? Yes. What if? What if? I'll give little teasers uh, here without giving I'll, I'll book myself in a future call to discuss just that. Yes. Yeah. We'll talk about <laughs> potential feature additions in, in future podcasts here about ONTAP. Um, so, you know, moving on to, to the next thing that we want to talk about here, uh, is, you know, let's keep in the theme of migration and replication. So SVM Migrate was also added. Um, and one interesting about that is, you know, it's a, it's not necessarily a fully fledged feature. I think it's like in preview mode or something, but it's also got some specific use cases that people might not be really familiar with. So talk to us about what SVM migrate is, what the status of it is and what it can do and what it can't do. Sure. Sure. So, you know, must be go up the stack, right? We just talked about snap mirror and replication and moving data from A to B is, is super valuable. Um, but we've we've had this concept of a storage virtual machine that is there's so much more when you're thinking about NAS and object protocols in particular. And so SVMDR was where I'd pick up the entire storage virtual machine that had the namespace and security settings and 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 permissions. All of that was in there. So when I ported it over, I could fail over to another cluster somewhere and and all of that would be recovered. But but it was an outage, right? I had to I had to you know down the the SVM on the primary site and bring it up on the second. So there'd be a cutover, and users would disconnect and, and reconnect. But but what we've done with with um, SVM migrate or or data mobility, we're referring to it as, is is really the ability to transparently pick up a storage virtual machine NAS only, which would kind of make sense, 
and move it to a different cluster within the same with this in the same data center. Now, initially, you kind of go, well, that's kind of cool. Like it's like it's like a V motion, but at an entire storage virtual machine level, level right? Might have hundreds of, of volumes sitting under a big namespace saying it would move it non-destructively. But why would I want to do that? Well, a couple of, of major use cases is is one is you know, we have a lot of service provider customers and customers that operate private clouds. You don't always know how your environment's going to grow. Now, obviously, ONTAP can grow horizontally. I can add additional nodes to the cluster. So if I have additional capacity requirements, I can certainly grow grow my cluster. But there may be, you know, service providers that have a, a you know a real pre-built recipe around how they deploy things. And you know, they they deploy eight node clusters or you deploy 12 node clusters, and that's our that's our building block. And when we need more capacity, we just deploy another 12 node cluster. And so this is a way for them is as they have these different clusters in their environment, if, if one of them starts to get hot, they have maybe have a tenant that comes in and grows faster than they expected, they can reload balance these, these multiple clusters. Um, uh, the other use case that, that's come up in particular is, is people from an availability standpoint. So when they, when they do grow a cluster or when they do a hardware refresh, um, we can do those non-disruptively. Um, so we can do that without any sort of interruption, but there is risk in there. So anytime you get kind of in the behind a rack and you start, you know, pulling cables and swapping controllers, you got to be really careful about how you do that to make sure you do things in the right order and you don't end up, you know, causing an outage, which is sort of the last thing you want to do. So there's a there's an appetite to say I want to build a completely brand new cluster and and burn that hardware in, you know, get it in there and performance test it and really really stress it out, and then when I'm ready, non-disruptively move my workloads selectively over to it, you know, one at a time rather than a big bang move. And so again, this SVM migrate, you know, lets us do that. Looking out a little bit, it, you know, there's also an appetite for maybe moving it from a, you know, an all flash cluster to a hybrid cluster or from a, a pre-prod cluster into prod. Um, and, and then, you know, the, the, the big super interesting area is, is Justin, when we get into cloud, right? And, you know, it's not there yet, but shortly we'll have that same functionality into CVO and, and that really gets interesting. Okay, so it kind of you know tells us a little bit more about what the SVM migrate feature functionality would do for us. It also you know is another one of those features where we're going to add more to it, and it's to become more readily available, and people will have more use cases for it. it, it my understanding is it uses that SnapMirror synchronous uh, backend for that, though, right? Uh, actually, I don't. I assume so. It you know it does become it does give that synchronous replication, and that does do a you know kind of an automation. Um, trick to to you know seamlessly cut down or basically down the SVM on one um, cluster and bring it up on the other in such a manner that NFS clients don't don't disconnect and you know they, they just seamlessly begin using IO on the uh, alternate cluster yeah well that part of that is the synchronous part of it is the the file handles being transferred similar to what right. we do with uh, SVMDR so it's, it's, it's interesting like we take a lot of these features we develop and then we we repurpose them we re- recycle them right? Don't waste not, want not. <laughs> You've got this feature. <laughs> don't don't create new stuff if you if it already works. Use the stuff you have that's proven and works and then repurpose it for something else. And and to your point, you know, we started off initially, we're, we're doing, you know, AFF to AFF in the same data center. But as you said, that's, that's the starting point. You know, that use case and support matrix is going to grow rapidly version to version. Yeah, there's really not a lot of technical reason for most of this stuff not working. A lot of it has to do with qualification, has to do with limiting the footprint, right? You don't want to create a bunch of problems that you might not have foreseen. You have a very specific test case that you've done. Let's start small and then just start building onto it later. But ultimately, that you know, the direction that you're going is have it readily available for most everybody. 
Yeah, that's it exactly. And 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 uh, if we're promising you that it's going to be a non-disruptive move, we better have tested it, you know, every which way to Sunday to make sure that it is non-disruptive. Yep. But you know, previously, you know, this is linking all the things together. I just talked about how things like um, SnapLock, we can lock data for for hundred years. That's sort of like I go, how am I gonna, how am I gonna maintain a you know a system for a hundred years? It'll it'll age out for sure. But this is that this is that mechanism, right? You you can you can move um, these volumes from from ONTAP cluster to ONTAP cluster to kind of cascade it for that that long retention. I'm looking forward to the you know time when we have SnapMirror to the chips in our heads. <laughs> volume on the go That's a right. cash flex, flex cash right. to the head in a hundred years the nano the nanobots in our head are going to have the data and we can just access it instantly um so you know that that would require a lot of speed of course uh, and and to do that i mean we've we've added some things to increase the speed for access of data and one of those things is nvme over tcp uh so talk to us a little bit about that we've done a podcast on it in depth but just kind of give us the high level overview of what that is uh, yeah, high level is, is you know we're the first to market with with this capability NVMe TCP. Um, if you've you've already done the podcast, you know NVMe is is the replacement for SCSI, which you know SCSI was kind of developed in the '60s. Um, has tons of limitations to it when you think about what uh, modern SSD media can do from an I/O standpoint and instruction set. It's incredibly hampered by by SCSI commands, right? SCSI command is just it was designed for a spinning platter, and so. Even today, the, the you know the most cutting edge all flash you know <laughs> you know built for for all flash and tuned for all flash. If you're doing SCSI commands, um, you're still essentially you know um, bringing your your I/O commands back to a, a platter and sector, right? You're you're, sure you're still it's still thinking about it in terms of of spinning media, which which is not optimal, and it does things like queuing and you know as if you had spinning media. So when you when you cut over to NVMe. You know, all that goes away, right? It's, NVMe is really a new a new I/O protocol design, you know, to, to support the the next generation of media, right? Solid, you know, solid state drives. The wrinkle has always been is is it typically required all new networking, right? New cards, new switches, and so so the beauty of NVMe TCP is the fact that you get the advantage of the improved protocol, but you can do it across your existing TCP networking. There's no there's no requirement. It's also a means to do high-performance I/O in cloud environments that uses standard TCP networking. So super attractive for workloads that are, you know, moving between on-prem and the cloud, and also a you know a very viable and popular alternative to iSCSI for for high-performance workloads. Yeah, it's basically you know a way to be more flexible. It's a way to get this type of thing into the cloud because of course the cloud operates on TCP. You're not going to have a lot of access to block uh, storage in the back end. So have, having a way to speed up those things over TCP is important for the flexibility as well as the interaction with things that maybe you don't have control over. Exactly, exactly. Easy way of getting into that particular space and uh, yeah, improving your performance. So we're, so we're kind of leading the curve a bit on there. It's just a matter of, of now application support. Uh, the big one being VMware is, is kind of right around the corner. So we're really excited for that. So another performance enhancing feature that we added that I think is also, I don't know if it's preview mode or not, is, is NFS over RDMA. Um, so talk to me a little bit about that and where that is and, and why we decided to add that. Yeah, that one isn't in, in tech preview. Um, the, the big, that was a, it's a funny one because it's, it's super high demand in certain use cases. And the biggest use case at the moment is is doing analytics using GPUs. And, and so for, for customers that are doing that heavy hitting workload, they need a way of, of, of getting um, very low latency and high amounts of data 
off of the off of the system into the GPU, trying to feed these arrays of GPUs. I was talking to a customer yesterday that that has very large ONTAP clusters, and, and they say they typically have between eight thousand and twelve thousand GPUs that that kind of drive it, which um, you know, very impressive stuff. Anyway, the, the 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 trick is to get the data there to to keep those GPUs fed, and um, so and and the typical AI automation is all done based on NFS. So so it has to you know it can't be done on on high a low latency block. It has to be done over NFS. So NFS over RDMA is really a way um, to provide that you know um, high bandwidth, low latency I/O from the controllers to the GPUs to you know to keep them fed during the analytics passes. It's in tech preview because that's a it's a pretty narrow use case at the moment. But again, as that demand increases and, and as we do more testing, watch to have that sort of expand as we go. So I, I know that with high performance things, you want to have a, a pulse on what's going on in your system. Um, and part of that is something we added in ONTAP 9.10.1 with the file systems analytics. So we have now have the ability to to do more with that. So talk to me a little bit what, about what we've added in FSA, as well as the new stuff in System Manager. For sure. So, so we you know, we first introduced FSA in nine eight just to sort of have a a dashboard of what's actually going in and on in my file shares, and uh, you, know, you always had to be sort of a an on tap whisperer if you're trying to understand you know why is a particular file share you know being problematic from I/O or, or workload standpoint. But it, but a nine ten one it boils it down super easy within System Manager, giving you a dashboard to see on any given file share. You know who are my who are my hottest files? Which files have the most I/O to them? Which have the most throughput? Um, which directory is driving that I/O? And, and that's a great way of identifying like what's this guy doing? And, you know what? Why is why is this particular file you know doing so much I/O? And we've also linked it to top users. And so so maybe I have kind of like a bad seed on the network who is just doing you know some sort of crazy processing on his file share that he shouldn't be that's causing you know causing this io load happening on the system so it's a great way of identifying rather than just kind of throwing your hands up and going man this volume is hot i have no idea why this volume is hot now at a glance we can go this volume is hot because it's this directory and this file and this user that that's hitting that system really really hard and and maybe that's a problem or or maybe it's not maybe you you hit him with a qos to to, to slow him down or, or 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 maybe you kind of you know discussion with them and say, hey, that's not the purpose of network storage, right? Maybe you want to be doing some of that on a local disk. Anyway, it's, it's a, a, a huge enhancement. And it's also part of the data that we pass up to back to our first discussion, which is cloud secure and how cloud secure does a lot of the user analytics. Yeah, we've also added some of the functionality back in the system manager that people are asking for. I, I know that we added things like uh, local Unix user and group creation, um, being able to manage aggregates like you were used to managing them before i think that we went from went to tiers at some point now we're back to more aggregate level stuff i i don't know the exact specifics of how they do that but are there any other you know top of mind things that they brought back that people were really asking for for sure you right we we uh um our first summit we we probably over rotated when we when we rewrote system manager to use rest apis and again that was that was the reason for the rewrite and and the idea was you know to the simplification and obviously over rotated heavily on that so we're bringing a lot of that functionality back um being able to choose your names on a lot of things is a big one right is hey, i want my i want my lifts named a particular thing i want my i want my my share or you know, my 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 volumes named a particular way so so being able to name things as you create them was a, was a big one now you mentioned you mentioned aggregates or local tiers um, that actually 
isn't quite, you kind of pre-disclosed that a little bit. There's, there's just a sneak peek, but yes, we absolutely are bringing back the ability to, uh, to configure. When I add capacity, when I add drives to the system, I can configure that how I want to, but that's not 910. That's, that's a future version of ONTAP, but not too distant future for that. But we are getting very close to, to, you know, we definitely heard all of the customer requests around, Hey, you guys took out something that I, I used heavily, um, we're expecting in, you know, kind of 20, 2022 year here is going to be the year to, to have most of that functionality back or all that functionality back plus some, which is, which is exciting. Excellent. Um, so, you know, last but not least, we have uh, new functionality for FlexCache, right? Yeah. Yeah. So FlexCache, you know, is, 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 you know, something that's been gaining popularity and, and a part of that is back to the cloud story, right? The ability to have your your primary data live maybe in a data center and then have all these cached versions out around the world um, using FlexCache. Um, and some of our customers in particular are, are media and entertainment. And, and there, there's scenarios where um, I actually don't want remote users accessing a file when I'm in the process of changing it. So, so good, you know, a good example is you know, maybe I have a, a media file, a video file that um, I want to do a, a rendering pass on. Well, I, I don't want users using the old copy of, of that until I'm done the rendering pass. So I actually have the ability to do uh, in 9.10.1 file locking where I can, I can lock all copies of a file while I'm you know, updating the source and then, and then, and then re-allow that. So users don't um, you know, try to fetch the, the file kind of when it's mid-rendering pass, right? When it's, when it's um, what they're going to get is, is not optimal. So, so that file locking, you know, although a bit of a specific use case, but for customers that have caches around the world and users working around the world on that file system, it's a, it's a important capability to have to you know do that global file lock and then release it when you're when you're done modifying that file. Yeah, and this is really for use cases where you know you you need that read lock. It's not <laughs> it's not going to be for everybody's use case, but it definitely was something that was being asked for. Absolutely. Exactly. The ones that needed it really needed it, but it's, it is like you said, a bit of a, an edge use case. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, so, you know, I think that about covers the, the main you know, major features. There are some like hidden gems in there that are either in Diag Priv or things that are currently in the works. Right. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so Keith, anything else you can think of that we might've missed? The, the, you know, the only thing that just actually popped to my mind, which is really, which is cool. You talk about system manager. The other thing we've brought in this system manager is um, uh, autonomous firmware updates. So, so system manager now will actually, when it does its call home um, for calling into active IQ, if there's a new version of your disk shelf or, or um, management processor firmware, it'll automatically pull that down and then ask you how you want, how you want to deal with that. Do you want to update it now, or do you want to schedule a time to update that firmware? Um, and what do you want to do that in the future? Do you want me to all, always use that time slot or always just automatically upgrade it? Um, disk and shelf firmware is one of those things that's super irritating to do, but is really critical for the stability and security of the system. So I think that's a big win. The fact that it all automatically pulls it down, basically at a click, you can schedule it to, to, to upgrade in a change window and, and then um, just you know log back in to get notifications and it automatically applies it. So Looked at, we're looking to do that to a lot more things, and that, that's really going to make you know kind of the ownership experience uh, of an ONTAP system better. But yeah, that was the other one in nine ten one. I should have, I should have talked about that as well. Oh, but we yeah, just did. that's right. Yeah, we did. Uh, yeah, and that, that's that's one of those things where you're probably not even going to notice it because it's it's not disruptive. <laughs> exactly until it pops up and goes, "Hey, you know, it's By I've already way, downloaded this thing, ready to do it." And yeah. if you're not comfortable with that, I think there's a way to turn that off, right? 
You certainly can. Yeah. If you want to just simply do it on your schedule and you want to manage it, you can certainly turn it off, disable it. Yeah. It's not mandatory, but I think it's a real nice to have. It just skips that whole hassle of having to download something. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So, you know, that's, that's pretty much it for 9.10.1. Now um, we, we are going to have another one soon uh, for the next release in spring. So, you know, stay tuned for that. Um, and uh, the, the only, the only information I can give you about that release is that it's going to be 9.11.1. <laughs> And that is actually very close. In fact, we have some some uh, beta copies in early access programs. So if you're a if you're a customer or a partner that is is interested in doing some of that early testing, um, and again, it, it it's um, a little beyond just kicking the tires. There's an actual test plan to run through. But if you want to be one of those early early validators, uh, reach out. We can we can um, you know see if you're fit for the program and tell you what's involved with it. But yeah, we're we're always looking for for new customers and partners to. Uh, to be part of that early access program. All right, excellent. So again, Keith, if we wanted to reach you, how do we do that? Uh, Keith A at netapp.com. All right, excellent. Thanks so much for joining us and talking to us all about the 9.10.1 release. And again, we'll have you back on to talk about the next release. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Justin. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Keith Asen for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.